<clears throat> Let me invite you once again to return to the book of Hebrews and let's um, continue our study of that book. <clears throat> We're in um, chapter 8 and I want to read you my text which is um, oh so terribly brief. So it's only one verse, it's out of Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12. Let me read you the words contained in that one verse. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, I'm, gonna, I'm about to do something that I don't recommend that you do. Um, uh, expositional preaching just doesn't do what I'm about to do. Um, what, I, what I'm going to do is isolate one sentence uh, out of the, the paragraph in which, I, in which you find it. Uh, that, that's not the, the proper way to study the Bible. Uh, uh, expository preaching normally takes a chunk or a paragraph or even a whole chapter. And tries to figure out all that's contained in it. But for the purposes this morning, I'm going to take one sentence out of a paragraph. Um, and, I, and I want you to know that I'm, I'm driven to do so by a, a pastoral concern. Um, guys, I, I'll tell you what that concern is in a minute. But um, the, the, the subject of chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews has been the superiority of the old covenant of the new covenant over the old covenant and you may recall a couple of weeks ago i told you that the primary feature of the new covenant is that it has come inside that remember the the ten commandments on two tablets they're found in the ark of the covenant but now in the new covenant they um, those commandments have been written on my heart they, they've come inside so we we looked at the primary feature of the new covenant this morning i'm not going to give you another characteristic or a feature what i want to do is concentrate on one of the promises that are afforded um, in the New Covenant. And that promise is complete forgiveness. I remember um, when I was studying the book of Hebrews in preparation for this, and I, I came upon those words, no more. <laughs> I, I couldn't wait to get up here. And talk to you about no more. Um, J.C. Ryle said that the most prized possession of the Christian is forgiveness. Um, R.C. Sproul, uh, my hero, he, he says that forgiveness is the very essence of the, of the Christian faith. And then he went on to add this, which I thought was so interesting. He said, um, at the experiential level of life, Forgiveness means everything. At the experiential level of life, forgiveness means everything. You know, guys, um, the very essence of the gospel as a broadcast is a, um, is a declaration of forgiveness available. Um, what, what good news do we have for the world? Well, we have the good news that forgiveness is available. Um, and yet... At this experiential level of life, 
feeling that forgiveness doesn't seem to come automatically. Um, I think it, on, on many occasions we're, we're um, our, our hearts have not caught up with our heads. And so um, that's, that's my pastoral concern. That's where I want to start this morning. Uh, actually, not start. I want, to, I want to concentrate. I want to start and stop at this experiential level of life where forgiveness means everything. You know, you can call it assurance. You can call it peace. I, I really don't care what you call it, but that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. That, that, uh, that level where I, my soul is at rest, where my soul is at peace. You know, John 16, if you've read John 16 lately, um, the, about the whole chapter, Jesus is concerned. He's about to leave, you know, and his, about, about his whole, the whole chapter is about um, uh, telling them things that will lead them or allow them to enjoy peace. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to take this one verse, I will remember their sins no more, and I want to take you, uh, hopefully, um, which isn't easy, but I want to take you to that experiential level of life, and um, try to bring our heart up to speed with our heads at the experiential level level of life okay that's what we're doing now to start here's what i want to do um i'm going to turn to deuteronomy 10 but i don't want you to turn there oh you can't if you want to i mean i can't stop you but uh, you just stay right there at hebrews 8 and i want to read you um two verses out of uh, deuteronomy 10 okay just two verses um and and here's here's how they start um and what does the lord your god require of you hot dog finally somebody's going to tell me uh, what the Lord requires of me. Because, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that. You know, what is it that God really... I mean, how is it that I can be reconciled to this God? You know, what does he require? Okay? That's how, that's how the verse opens. It says, and what does the Lord God require of you? And here it is. To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today. Now, guys, as I read that, um, what did you feel? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> well, you weren't listening. Let me read it to you again. Just two verses. What does the Lord God require of you? To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today. Now tell me, as you heard that, what did you feel? Well, okay. Um, well, I can, I can, I can tell you this much. I, 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 I guess that means that um, 
um, that I failed. Because I certainly hadn't done all that. I mean, uh, Dr. Young, if those are, if those are the requirements, then it's very clear that I have not met all those requirements. But, Dr. Young, I mean, nobody has. Guys, do you know what that's called? That's called guilt. (laughs) In in the light of a known standard outlined for you right here, what does the Lord require right here? Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13. In the light of that known standard, I have failed. And, and I, and I want to say to you that at this moment, we are now hopefully all together at the experiential level. I, uh, I see the standard, and I know what I've done. And that means I'm guilty of not meeting the required standards, the requirements given. Well, okay, doctor, now that you have uh, uncovered my guilt, um, I mean, um, is, there, uh, is there a solution? I mean, uh, what, what, what solutions are available? Uh, are, are there any solutions? Well, well there must be, guys, that, um, because this book is, um, is full of the mention of forgiveness, which is what is found in our text in Hebrews 8.12. It's all over this book, talking about forgiveness, forgiveness. Let, let me just mention one of those. Let me quote just one of them, because it's one of my favorites, but it's, it's so rich. It's in Psalm 130, and the psalmist says this, if you should mark iniquities, what that means is um, if you should keep record, if you're keeping records, and then he says, if, if you should keep, if, 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 if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? That's a rhetorical question, and the, and the answer to that question is nobody. If you should mark iniquities, who can stand? And then it goes on. But there is forgiveness with thee. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Oh, my gosh, God, if you, if you, if you keep records, we're all in trouble. But... There is forgiveness. Isn't that a beautiful word? Oh, how I, um, I love that word forgiveness. As Ryle said, the prized possession of the Christian. The essence of the Christian message. Sproul says, um, the Christian faith, summed up in a word, forgiveness. Okay, um, if that forgiveness and is available, how do I get it? I, 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 have, um, I have faced the standard uh, as shown in uh, Deuteronomy 10. Uh, but you've just told me that there's forgiveness available to somebody who has not met those requirements. 
How, 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 do, I, how, do, how do I get that? Well, guys, um, a moment ago, when I, when I read you from, uh, read out of Deuteronomy 10, and you realized, maybe for the first time, and, and, and um, maybe not, but maybe for the first time, that I'm in trouble. Um, I, I didn't uh, meet those requirements. I have not met those requirements as outlined in those two verses. Um, and then, then you added this. Yeah, but nobody has. Well, that's only partially true. There is one who has met all those requirements in, in Deuteronomy 10. All of, that, all of that fear, all of that walking in the ways, and all of that love, and, and all of that service, and, and, and in all of that keeping the commandments. There is one who did that. And I, and I think you probably already know it. His name is Jesus Christ. He did it all, and he did it perfectly. And because he did it perfectly, he's become the solution. You know, there's a, there's a scene in the New Testament where Paul is in a Philippian jail, a, a, a jail in the city of Philippi. And uh, there's an earthquake, you know, shakes everything, and the, the, the jailer comes running into the jail where Paul is in the cell and says, what must I do to be saved? And, and, and Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now, 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 wait a minute, Dr. Young. I, you know, you're, you're lost. You lost me here. I, I'm not quite tracking with you because, um, you know, there's, there, there's some of these dots that I, I just can't seem to, to connect. Um, how is it that my guilt is replaced um, by forgiveness uh, simply by believing in Jesus Christ? I, I don't get all that. Well, first of all, guys, you need to understand that nothing, nothing is simple about it. Um, in fact, there is nothing more costly than the method by which God made forgiveness available to the guilty. Nothing is more costly. In fact, my big hero, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says that, the, that, that forgiveness is the biggest problem that God ever faced. Making forgiveness available to the guilty is the biggest problem that God ever faced. Now, let me try to explain that, that's that statement by Lloyd-Jones. Um, and to do that, I'm going to use an illustration, and, I, and guys, I have sought to make this as simple as I know how to make it. Why is forgiveness a problem? And, and what is the remedy or what is the solution to that problem that God faced? The one that Lloyd-Jones says is the biggest problem God ever faced. I, I'm trying to make this as simple as I know how. Okay? Because what's at stake here, ladies and gentlemen, is forgiveness. Okay, here's my illustration. Let's imagine that I sin only three times a day. Now, guys... Uh, for me, it's more like 300 times a day. You know, um, I usually sin more than three times before breakfast. 
Um, you know, but let's just imagine, for argument's sake, three times a day, which is roughly a thousand a year, and I'm 68 years old. That means 68,000 sins. 68,000 of those things. Oh my gosh. And what we're going to say in this simple illustration is I'm going to say that this is not a Bible, this book, this black book, this is not a Bible, but this is a record of 68,000 sins. All 68,000 of them. By the way, I have volumes two, three, four, and five at home. But um, uh, all of my sins, all the dates, the times, the, the events, the people involved, they're, they're, they're all right in here. This is not a Bible. This is, this is my 68,000 sins. They're all in here. Um, and here's Jimmy Young. My hand uh, represents Jimmy Young. And Jimmy Young wants to go to heaven, like you. But there's a problem. That. Jimmy Young is weighed down by 68,000 times seven uh, sins. Okay? And so God, this hand is God. God looks down from heaven and says, Jimmy and I love you. And by the way, if your God is one-dimensional like the culture in which you live, and that the only dimension he has is love, then God doesn't have a problem. But I have to tell you that he is not, he's more than one-dimensional. He's multidimensional. But God looks down from heaven and says, Jimmy, I love you. I don't want to see you perish. But, and here's another dimension of God. But my eyes are too holy to even look upon your iniquity. I can't stand this in my presence. I can't, uh, I can't allow this into my presence. That's the problem Lloyd-Jones was talking about. I love Jimmy Young, and I don't want him to perish. But i got to do something about that. And here's what he did as so many of you know. It was solved in a person. The Bible says, all we like sheep, and we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord God has laid upon him a person. Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Now, guys, here's my point. This is exactly the point at which we struggle. That. That that provision that has allowed God to forgive me. This. That's where we struggle. Nothing is more doubted. Nothing is more examined. Nothing is more pondered than this. Guys, one of the clearest statements in all of the scriptures, I will remember their sins no more because of that, is the thing that we're, that, that we're robbed of at the experiential level of life. This is something, oh, we knew about that. But when it comes to sensing and enjoying the peace of my own forgiveness, I keep looking back and saying, wait, well, maybe, maybe there's a few that he missed. Maybe there's still some on me there, you know? Maybe, maybe... He didn't get volume two, three, four, five, and six. This, ladies and gentlemen, this remedy 
that God has made available to undeserving folk like us. That's where we struggle. Why? Why do we struggle? You know, we're, we're complex people, and I'm sure that I'm sure it varies from person to person, but let me offer a couple of suggestions. Why do we struggle? Well, first of all, we keep going, we keep appealing to our own performance. We keep measuring ourselves by the standard of law. And as we do, we discover, oops, didn't make it, didn't make the cut. And we hear those thunderings of Sinai all over again. Because I'm thinking, let me just see how I measured up. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't measure up. And if that's what you do to establish your own sense of peace and assurances, you're going to fail every time. Or maybe you do this. Maybe you, um, maybe you say, well, you know, it's very hard, difficult for me to forgive. You know, I've got some people in my life that I haven't forgiven right now. You know, I don't, I don't forgive my mother. And, and uh, you know, then I've got some friends uh, down the street. I don't forgive them either, you know. And it's hard for me to forgive. Then it must be God, it must be hard for God too. Or maybe you've got that one-dimensional God. You know, that his only dimension is love. And that has not satisfied your conscience at all. Or maybe it's Rome's fault. Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, who teaches this wretched doctrine of purgatory, which says that when you die, you got to go to this place to burn off some more of your sins. Ladies and gentlemen, how can God send a son or a daughter to burn off more of their sins when this has taken place? How, how can we burn off more sins, sins which God says, I don't even remember? What kind of judge would send somebody to pay for more of their sins that he doesn't even remember? Guys, there's also the problem of the devil who, who loves to torment us, who loves to accuse, especially Christians, um, and, and try to convince them that the way that they've got to atone for their own sins by being good, and we all know, are if we're honest, we're not good. And so there we are at the experiential level, once again, wondering. If that is for me. Maybe that's for somebody else, but not me. There's, there's, been, a, there's been a slip up someplace. Guys, how is it that God can make forgiveness available to us? Um... Because he has been a witness to that. He's the one that authored the whole idea 
I know what I'll do with Jimmy Young's sin. I will provide a Savior, and I'll ask that Savior, my son, to pay for his sin. And there is no cost that could be higher. Nothing could be more costly than having my son pay for his sin. And it would be wrong of me to ask that there be a second payment for those sins once my son died for them. But you see, guys, that, that forgiveness made possible by the payment of my sins by the one who is altogether lovely, that's got to be taken. It's got to be had. It's got to be appropriated. Just like the Philippian, the, the, the Philippian jailer when, when Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I am telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that this has taken place. Now, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I am leaning completely upon the merits of Jesus Christ, and I am trusting that God means what he says. What did he say? He said this, and I will remember their sins no more. Guys, when you hear that, what, what, does that, what does that do to you? Does that make you want to go out and sin some more? Because if it does, you didn't listen. Because ladies and gentlemen, if you forget the costliness of what God has accomplished in Christ to save us from our sin. When you forget the costliness of our redemption, then what you tend to do is offer a very superficial, perfunctory profession of faith which doesn't lead to very much heart change at all. But, if you forget the freeness, the freeness of the forgiveness made available, then you continue to live in guilt and shame and self-loathing. And you keep going back, wondering, could it possibly be, be that this is mine? Guys, Christianity is not for good people. It's not a religion for good people. It's a, it's a religion for people who know their sin. They've measured themselves up against the standard and see, didn't make it. And they want forgiveness. And so they lay hold of that offer and make it their own. Guys, um, 
Christianity is for people who know their sin and want to be forgiven, and I'm one of those. This covenant that's being described in Hebrews 8, that's my covenant. That's for me. And the more I, re- the more I repent of my sin, the more I sense the beauty of forgiveness. And the more I sense the beauty of forgiveness, the more my life changes. And the more my life changes, the deeper becomes my humility, my joy, and my peace. Let me tell you one more time. Right out of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, God says, and I will remember their sins no more. No more. Two little brief words, little words, monosyllabic, one-syllable words. And the meaning of those two words is incalculable. At the experiential level of life. That's where my soul must hear. No more. That promise is for us. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, that you will remind your people that there is a provision that that you have made, a provision that is so stupendous that it sometimes. It sometimes surpasses our ability to grasp it because we know what we've done. We've know there, we know there's more than 68,000. We know that there's a whole set of volumes at home, all with a record. And yet, you have said, for those in Christ, I will remember their sin no more. Would you, would you give to your people the kind, that, that kind of serenity that can come when we understand the profundity of two simple little words, no more. And Father, for those that you have brought here this morning who have not yet met the Savior, who are still trying to um, perform well enough to be approved on the basis of their own performance, would you show them once and for all that the standards are way too high, that they will never be met by any of us, and our only hope is to embrace Jesus, who alone met the standards and has died in our place. And we get credit for his meeting the standards. Father, we come 
not on our own merit, but we come because we're in Christ. And in Christ, we are safe. Lord, um, for the troubled brother or sister here this morning who continue to wrestle around with their failing to meet the standard, would you point them once again to the beauty of the finished work of Jesus Christ? And we pray, of course, in his name.